are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by leaving a tip through Venmo at the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 357. We are reading from Volume 4. Book 8, Chapter 18, Paragraphs 713 to 721. Chapter 18. How the desires and longings of Most Holy Mary to seek God increased during her last days. She takes leave of the sacred places and of the Catholic Church. She makes her testament in the presence of the Most Blessed Trinity. 713. I find myself indeed poor in words now when I am to speak of the activity of the Most Blessed Mary's love during the last days of her life, of the impetuous flights of her spirit, of her desires and incomparable yearnings to reach the close embraces of the divinity. I find no similitude in all nature, and if anything could serve for a comparison, it might perhaps be the element of fire, on account of its correspondence with love. Admirable is the activity and the force of that element above all others, None is more impatient of bounds, for it will either die in confinement or burst its bonds, in order to rise up unconstrained to its proper sphere. If it finds itself imprisoned in the earth, it will tear up the surface, break into the mountains and shatter the rocks, hurling them with irresistible violence aside until its fury is spent. And as experience teaches, though its prisons be of bronze as in the cannon, if it does not burst it, it at least forces an opening for itself with terrific violence and sends forth the metal ball on its course of destruction. Such is the activity of this insensible creature. 7.14 But if in the heart of the Most Holy Mary the fire of divine love was concentrated to one point, I cannot explain myself by other words, then clearly the effects corresponded to their cause, and the effects of the fire are not more wonderful in the order of nature than the effects of her love in the order of grace. And of such immense grace, our great queen was always a pilgrim in the world and the only phoenix upon earth. But when she was ready to depart for heaven and assured of the happy end of her pilgrimage, although her blessed body still lingered upon earth, the flame of her most pure love with irresistible flight pressed upward to her proper sphere, that is, the divinity. 
She could not withhold or constrain the impetus of her heart, nor seemed to be master of her interior activities or hold dominion over them. For she had yielded all her liberty to the sway of love and to her desire of possessing the highest good, in whom she lived, transformed, and forgetful of earthly mortality. Her love did not burst the narrow prison walls of natural life, because it was preserved more by a miracle than by natural forces. Nor did it bear up with it her mortal body, because it had not yet arrived at its destined ending. Although the activity of her spirit and of her love was sufficient to ravish it from earth, but in this sweet and unquenchable contest of love, the operations of nature were suspended, so that this godlike soul seemed to receive its life only from the divine love. And in order to preserve the natural life, a continuous miracle was necessary, requiring the intervention of some supernatural activity for encountering death at each instant and sustaining her natural existence. 7.15 It happened many times during these last days that in order to abate somewhat the excesses of her love and in order to prevent her bosom from being forced asunder, she broke the silence of her retreat and spoke to the Lord. My sweetest love, highest good and treasure of my soul, draw me now after the sweetness of thy ointments, which thou hast permitted thy handmaid and mother to taste in this world. Canticle 1-3 My will always found its rest entirely in thee, the highest truth and the true good. Never have I known any other love than the love of thee. O my only hope and glory, let not my course be prolonged, let not the beginning of that much-desired freedom be postponed. Psalm 141.8 Solve now the chains of that mortal existence, which still detains me. Let the term of my life be fulfilled. Let that end come toward which I tended from the first instant in which I received my being from thee. My dwelling among the inhabitants of cedar has been prolonged. Psalm 119.5 but all the powers of my soul and all its faculties look toward the sun, which gives it life. Follow the fixed north star that leads them on, and faint away in spirits for the good they are awaiting. O ye supernal spirits, by the most exalted condition of your spiritual and angelic nature, by the happiness which you enjoy in the never-failing beauty of my beloved, I beseech you to have pity on me and my friends. Do ye pity this stranger among the children of Adam, captive in the bonds of the mortal flesh. Present to my and your Lord the cause of my sorrow, of which he is not ignorant. Canticle 5.8 Tell him that for his sake I embrace suffering in my banishment, and that I so desire it, but I cannot desire to live in my own self, and if I am to live in him in order to preserve my life, how can I live in the absence of this my life? Love it is, which gives my life, at that same time deprives me of it, Life cannot live without love. Hence, how can I live without life, which alone I love? In this sweet violence I am perishing. Tell me, if possible, of the qualities of my beloved, for amid such aromatic flowers the swoonings of my impatient love shall find recovery. Canticle 2.5.7.16 With such and other still more fervent aspirations, the Most Blessed Mother assuaged the fires of her spirit, that she excited the wonders of the holy angels who attended upon her and served her, 
And as they, by means of their high intelligence and heavenly science, were able to understand these excesses, they, on one occasion, answered her as follows, Our queen and lady, if thou wishest again to hear us speak of the tokens of thy beloved that we know of, consider that he is beauty itself, and that he contains within himself all the perfections beyond all desire. He is amiable without defect, delightful beyond comparison, pleasing without the least flaw. In wisdom he is inestimable, in goodness without measure, in power boundless, in greatness immeasurable, in essence infinite, in majesty inaccessible, and all has perfections are infinite. In his judgments he is terrible, his counsels inscrutable, in his justice most equitable, in his thoughts unsearchable, in his words most true, in his works holy, rich in mercies. Space cannot overreach him, narrowness cannot confine him, sorrow cannot disturb him, joy cannot cause any change in him, nor does he ever fail in his wisdom or change in his will. Abundance cannot overwhelm, or what come near him, memory adds nothing, forgetfulness takes away nothing from his knowledge, what was is not past for him, and what is to come never happens to him. The beginning gave no origin to his being, and time will bring to him no end. Without being caused, he causes all things, and he has not need of anything, but all things need participation in him. He preserves them without labor, he governs them without confusion. Those who follow him walk not in darkness, those who know him are happy, who love and extol him are blessed. For he exalts his friends and at last glorifies them by his eternal vision and intercourse. John 17.3 This, O lady, is the good which thou lovest and whose embraces thou shalt shortly enjoy without intermission through all his eternities. Thus spoke the holy angels. 7.17 Such colloquies took place frequently between the great queen and her ministers, but just as the thirst of one laboring under a burning fever is not allayed by small drops of water, but rather increased, so also these incitements of love do not quench the divine flame in that loving mother, because they rather open up new sources of loving anguish. During the last days of her life, she not only enjoyed the favors mentioned above, namely those of the feast days and the Sundays and many other favors impossible to enumerate, but in order to sustain and nourish her in her anguishes of love, her divine son visited her more frequently than before. During these visits, he recreated her and comforted her with wonderful favors and caresses, assuring her again and again that her banishment would now be short, that he would bear her up on his right hand, where she would be placed on her royal throne by the Father and the Holy Ghost and be absorbed in the abyss of the divinity. Thus was she to be the source of new joy to the saints all of whom are awaiting and desiring to see her. On these occasions, the loving mother multiplied her petitions and prayers for the Holy Church, for the apostles and disciples, and all the ministers who in coming ages were to serve in the preaching of the gospel and the conversion of the world, and for all the mortals who were to accept its teachings and to come to the knowledge of the divine truth. Among the wonders which the Lord wrought, with the most blessed mother during these last years, there was one which was manifest only to the evangelist, but to many of the faithful. This was that. When the blessed lady received Holy Communion, she shone for some hours with a clearness so wonderful 
that she seemed transfigured and gifted with glory. This was caused by the sacred body of her son, who, as I have before stated, showed herself to her in a transfigured and more glorious state than on Mount Tabor. All that then beheld her were filled with joy and with effects so divine that they could be indeed felt and not described. 7.19 The devout queen resolved to take leave of the holy places before her departure into heaven, and having obtained the consent of St. John, she left the house with him and with the thousand angels of her guard. Although these sovereign princes had always served and accompanied her in all her errands, occupations, and journeys, without having absented themselves for one moment since the instant of her birth. Yet on this occasion they manifested themselves to her with greater beauty and refulgence, as if they felt special joy in seeing themselves already at the beginning of her last journey into heaven. The heavenly princess, setting aside human occupations, in order to enter upon her journey to the real and true fatherland, visited all the memorable places of our redemption, marking each with the sweet abundance of her tears, recalling the sorrowful memories of what her son there suffered, and fervently renewing its effects by most fervent acts of love, clamors, and petitions for all the faithful, who should devoutly and reverently visit these holy places during the future ages of the church. On Calvary she remained a longer time, asking of her divine Son the full effects of its redeeming death for all the multitudes of souls there snatched from destruction. The ardor of her ineffable charity during this prayer rose to such a pitch that it would have destroyed her life if it had been sustained by divine power. 7.20 Thereupon her divine Son descended in person from heaven and appeared to her on this place of his death. Answering her petitions, he said, My mother and my dove, coadjutrix to the work of the human redemption, thy petitions have come to my hearing and have touched my heart. I promise thee that I shall be most liberal with men, and I shall dispense to them continually the helps of my graces and favors, in order that with their own free will they may merit the glory earned for them by my blood. If they do not, of their own accord, despise this happiness in heaven, thou shalt be their mediatrix and advocate." And all those that shall obtain thy intercession I shall fill with my treasures and infinite mercies. This promise, therefore, was renewed by the Lord on the very place on which he had redeemed us. The most blessed virgin, prostrate at his feet, gave him thanks, and there begged him by his precious and bloody death to give her his last benediction. The Lord gave it, ratified all the royal promises, and then returned to the right hand of his eternal Father. Comforted in her loving anguish, the most blessed Mary pursued her devotions, kissed and worshipped the ground on Calvary, saying, Holy earth and consecrated spot, from heaven shall I look down upon thee with reverence, bathed in that light which manifests all in its font and origin, and from whence came forth the divine word to enrich thee in his immortal flesh. Then she again charged the holy angels to assist her in the custody of those sacred places, to inspire with holy thoughts all the faithful who should visit them with devotion, so that they might know and esteem properly the admirable blessing of the redemption wrought thereon. She charged them also with the defense of those sanctuaries, and if the temerity and the crimes of men had not demerited this favor, without a doubt the holy angels would have warded off the profanations of the heathens and the infidels, even as it is, they defend them in many ways to the present day. 721. The queen also asked 
the angels of the sanctuaries and the evangelists to give her their blessing in this last leave-taking, and therewith she returned to her oratory, shedding tears of the tenderest affection for what she loved so much upon earth. There she prostrated herself with her face upon the earth and poured forth another long and most fervent prayer for the church, and she persevered in it until in an abstractive vision of the divinity the Lord had given her assurance that he had heard and conceded her petitions at the throne of his mercy. In order to give the last touch of holiness to her works, she asked permission of the Lord to take leave of the Holy Church, saying, Exalted and Most High God, Redeemer of the world, Head of the saints, and the predestined, Justifier and Glorifier of souls, I am a child of the Holy Church, planted and acquired by thy blood. Give me, O Lord, permission to take leave of such a loving mother, and of all my brethren, thy children, belonging to it. She was made aware of the consent of the Lord, and therefore turned to the mystical body of the church, addressing it in sweet tears as follows. This concludes our reading today for day number 357. We've been reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 18, paragraph 713 to 721. I think our reading today, especially the very first part of it, is really a reflection of Our Lady. It's a reflection of her looking back at her life. It's a reflection of her love of God and how blessed we are to be able to hear it and to be able to know how much she loved God, how much she loved the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If something stood out to me, it was this. This was that when the Blessed Lady received Holy Communion, she shone for some hours with a clearness so wonderful that she seemed transfigured and gifted with glory. I like these reminders about Holy Communion. I like these reminders that we shouldn't take our Holy Communion for granted. That Mary shone out in the world after receiving Holy Communion. And all of the people that come to church on a given Sunday who receive the Eucharist, well, they're radiating the light of Christ, even if they don't realize it. And I think that Our Lady then can teach us to more deeply appreciate the gift which is the Holy Eucharist. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.